0: reading this morning is from Matthew 6, and I'm going to actually read a little bit before the passage that I had printed for you as I was preparing I realized that I, I needed this for some context. So I'm going to read uh, an actual Bible here this morning, instead of just a bulletin. So if you've had your Bible, you can follow along with me or your, your iPhone or iPad. Uh, this is uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the church. They love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in this But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. the deep hurt, with disillusionment, confusion. Some of us are fatigued, we're tired, we're cynical, maybe we're just bored with life. We have no expectation that today will be any different than the hundreds that have come forward. Father, wherever you find us this morning, would you meet us with your grace? Would you surprise us with hope? Would you walk into our doubts and confusion? Teach us this morning what it would mean to truly define ourselves by You and Your promises, rather than all of the frustrating and disappointing ways that we are told every day that we must return a personal word. Teach us what it would mean to be made by You, to be fully healed by Your gospel, to be continually made new by Your restorative touch. Teach us this morning to believe. Teach us how we can relate to you, how we can be intimate with you, on a daily basis through prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin to talk about prayer, I have a confession to make, one that maybe you find really hard to believe and maybe you'll find very easy to believe, but I struggle with prayer. And I've had seasons in my life where my prayer life has been very, very seasons where it's been very normal. some days i forget to pray other days when i pray my prayer seems very lifeless and dead and other days i pray with great expectation, great hope and great vibrancy. maybe that's distressing to you because the pastor is supposed to lead the congregation in prayer and that's certainly true the pastor is thought oftentimes to lead by example have to be stronger and better at all of the spiritual disciplines. But maybe, hopefully, it's encouraging to you that I struggle with prayer because it means you're not alone. That the pastor struggles at times, oftentimes, with cultivating a vibrant, enjoyable, delightful, intimate prayer life. And I hope it's alive. I hope that does encourage you because prayer is challenging and pretending that it's not doesn't really help any of us. I've met people who are particularly gifted at prayer where prayer comes very naturally and very easily, but those people are honestly very rare. For most of us commoners, prayer doesn't come very easily. Let me share with you something that I've learned. It's okay. It's okay. And by that, don't mean that we shouldn't continue to try and cultivate an intimate prayer life. We shouldn't learn and grow but it means that struggling in prayer is a very common ailment. Jesus' closest disciples here in this passage had to be taught to, prayer, to pray. They had to learn how to pray. So we're going to spend a few moments as we have the last number of weeks looking at a component in our liturgy. This time we're going to look at the prayers. The fact that we pray in worship, that we have a specific component. Or a liturgical component that is given to the prayer. I want to do that by looking at the prayer that we pray each and every Prayer. This is one of the most well known passages of all scripture, one of the most well known and frequently recited in the whole English language. And it's 2,000 years old, but it's immensely relevant. Because we have this pace of technological innovation, this ability to manipulate. Data, manipulate our bodies, our cities, our problems. It gives us a sense of control, or at least with the next technological innovation, will be able to control this or that. We live in an age to starve the experience of the soul. But what's confounded sociologists that parallel to this rise of technology and technological innovation is not going to diminish the religious. But in fact, an intensification. We've seen in the last 50 years the creation of very new religions and spiritual cults. We've seen the westernization of Eastern religion. We've seen the rise of fundamentalism of all, of all stripes. We see a growing affinity in the West for Buddhism and Hinduism. So we can be spiritual with no God or we're familiar with familiar of Gods. Even though it's a very technological savvy, independent, and, and hopeful page is also a very spiritual age. But as we all know about the traditional guard, that we have a instinctual distrust of institutional religion and traditional paths, and particularly if we're honest Christianity. We're often willing to look outside ourselves for some clues to pray, to the spirituality, but we want to retain editorial control over those pathways. And into that, Jesus gives us this prayer. Into that, we pray the Lord's Prayer each and every week, which challenges both the technological drive to commodify control our world. and says that there's something out there, there's someone out there that cannot, that will not be controlled, that's commodified. And in the face of the creation of designer, self-made religions, Jesus says, here is the way. That you're going to approach God. Here's the way that you're pray. Here's the path of true spirituality. Could it be that something so prosaic, something so familiar, is the true path to spirituality, experiencing God? We say it each and every Sunday. And so maybe the, the meaning, the significance has been blocked away in our repetition of this prayer. Our house can be a fairly noisy place. We have four and we have many kids that are friends that come over. And oftentimes, we'll kind of just lose the fact that we will be conscious of that. It. It's very noisy. It's very loud. There's lots of things happening. But if we go out to dinner, then that noise becomes very apparent. Because we, we see everyone staring at us and wondering. if we're going to quiet down. Suddenly, the noise level becomes really noticeable. I hope that this part of the literature, that this part of our worship service will feel like that. That Suddenly the the noise will be turned up. The volume will come up. That you'll suddenly be alert to new possibilities in your prayer life and in the prayer life of the church. Now, context. He's teaching disciples who are very accustomed to prayer. But in the Jewish tradition, they're likely praying three times a day. That's where Jesus is giving his instruction. When you pray three times a day, here's how you pray. And so we should realize that even people that are doing that three times a day still need to learn. They still need practice. They still need to be taught how to pray. And what he's giving them, what he's giving us is is a model. It's not necessarily that we have to pray these exact same words every time we pray, but we can. But it's a model or a guide that's to direct or approximate the type of prayer that we're doing in heaven. And of course, we use this prayer in a scripted way In a a regular way, every week. And maybe that seems to you to be rather artificial. It's easy to let your mind wander as we're praying. But what do we learn by being led in prayer? What do we learn by the fact that we participate in scripted prayers? Maybe that's unusual. Maybe that's not part of your heritage. Well, think about what normally. Well, sometimes it's happiness, it's joy, it's recognition that something is going well in your life. And you want to praise God for that if you're a Christian. You want to give Him thanksgiving. And so, happiness, joy, your life, prosperity. Or more often, if we're honest, it's probably our fellow beings. It's those things in our lives that we want God to intervene in. And it's implied in that, that we need to convince God to get to work And the emphasis is on me and on my life. When I pray in that way, I have a sense that I've started something. I've initiated something. But what happens in our liturgy? What happened a moment ago when Rachel came up and led us in prayer? She said, let us pray. Which means that you didn't start anything. You're responding. Someone is leading you in prayer. And for a moment, your ego, your felt needs are sidelined. At least for a moment. You begin to realize that prayer is not validated by our needs. It's not validated by our feeling, good or bad. But that God is the one that's taking initiative, that he's at work in other people, in his community. And we as individuals are brought into, invited into an already unfolding story. That's difficult, it's not impossible to learn how to by ourselves. But praying together on Sunday morning, you learn over and over that prayer goes on without you. Whether you're feeling it or not. Whether your coffee's kicking or not. Whether you're still wondering if you turn your cell phone way or off. Prayer is happening. And you are invited into prayer as recognition of God's unfolding story that's already happening. You're participating rather than initiating. Now, of course, these hearers didn't only pray in gathered worship. As I said, they probably pray pray three times a day, most of the time in prayer. And he says in verse six, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. I would submit that praying in a gathered way is primary, but it's not the only way liturgical prayer is meant to bleed over into your private life of prayer. It's the starting point, not the ending point. And so what do we do with this Lord's prayer? Well, you can, you can recite it. You can pray it word for word. Or you can take basic concepts in your personal prayer life. You can do praise and thanksgiving. You can acknowledge God's presence in your world and ask Him to be a part of His work in the world. You can do a time of confession of sin and pray for relationships. And then you can pray for daily needs. Daily needs are important and God cares about them. That's the basic contour of the Lord's Prayer. So let the Lord's prayer then be a stepping off point. And if prayer is not a regular part of your life already, don't shoot for the moon. Don't say tomorrow I'm going to pray for an hour and a half before work. Because you might sit there for an hour and a half, but you're not going to pray the whole time and then the next day you probably won't sit there for an hour and a half will be much shorter. But don't shoot for the moon, but start small. It's okay to start small. Carve out a few moments. Heart out five minutes. If you get going five minutes early for work or for school, and you can sit and contemplate. Pray for the Lord's prayer in that context. Go for a walk. Pray while you're driving. Pray in your community group. Pray with some trusted friends. Prayer takes practice. It takes repetition. And praying in these places, not just when we come to church, helps us bridge the distance between those two seemingly different separate lives. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, we understand the content of the Lord's Prayer. We begin to see that wall that divides our spiritual lives and our private lives. We see that walking down. We see that instead we vitally connected. Jesus says, for example, in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. This prayer is talking about how do we relate to those who are opposed to us? How do we live with integrity? How do we begin to care for other people's needs, for other people who are right in front of us? Those who begin to have this deep inner life, this deep spiritual life, sees that life infecting and invading all of their life. That divine is no longer there. It's interrelated. And that's the kind of prayer that Jesus is giving us here. It's a very earthly, very beautiful, very practical prayer. And those who have this need in their life who commune with God can't then ignore the needs of the Lord. They can't knowingly and willingly be dishonest. The forgiveness that you experience in this prayer is meant to be extended to others in your daily life. And conversely, the, the heart that's cold to other people's needs of forgiveness isn't fully understanding, isn't fully experiencing God's forgiveness. Now there's two ways that Jesus says here that we can short-circuit this sort of prayer. This sort of prayer that invades and affects all of our daily life as individuals and our life as a church. Two ways that we can short-circuit. He says, do not pray one like hypocrites, and do not pray, oh, secondly, like the pagans. Now, he warns us, first of all, against this sort of ostentatious, ostentatious religious posturing that's present in his own faith tradition, as well as this practice of throwing up this cascade of words, hoping to so somehow stumble on the magic formula, which was common in paganism. To the hypocrite and the heresy who prays to try and demonstrate their own. He says that they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. In that circumstance, it'sn't a communion of God, but it's an, an act of pretense. It's an act ultimately of self-worship. These are religious, religious showmen that are looking for the admiration of their colleagues. And Jesus says with terrible irony, that's all that they're going to get. But that's their reward. But if you do that, people probably will notice, and some people will actually applaud you and be impressed. But that's your reward. That's it. So be happy with that. It's a terrible irony. On the other hand, the pagans, as was well, common in that time and place, don't pray in the way they pray, but they keep on babbling so they think they will be heard. This babbling is a, is a torrent or it's a flood of words. It's often like these long, elaborate prayers to every deity that that maybe they can persuade a God or goddess to listen. And maybe that seems sort of foreign to us. But don't we do this by thinking that our words when we pray must be profound, they must sound sophisticated, that we don't want to pray just simply, unintelligently. Maybe we think if we pray longer about something, then God will pay attention. Then God will answer. And maybe we think that if we have greater feeling or determination, greater emotion as we pray, then we're more, more happy to get what we want. Isn't that the, the babbling, hoping that we heard? But you see, the pagans and the religious are doing the very same thing. They're falling off on two sides of the very same force. And that horse is manipulation. It's trying to get God and God to do what we want, to notice us, to approve of us. And Jesus is saying that the purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you want, but it's to get you okay with God doing what he wants in the world and in the life. to your request. Make your name holy in the world. Your will be done. Your kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're reminded in that at the very beginning that we are not the center of the universe. Instead of bringing the shopping list of all that we need, Jesus wants our prayer life to draw us into another story. To draw us into the presence of a holy, powerful, omnipotent God. The story of Him bringing that power onto the problems in our own church, in our own lives, in the world. And so we begin to pray in light of that. light of the fact that He is holy God. We pray, how can I encounter a God like that? How can I participate in His story? How can I participate in Jesus' mission? And how can I keep this holy God here? You see He is holy And transcendent And abundant. But then at the same time We're invited to approach him In your life a child. He says that we're calling Our father And Martin Luther The great German reformer Said that in one sense The entire gospel is summarized In those two words that you as a sinner, that I as a sinner are invited to respond to God, relate to God as children. He is a father. And a loving father for that. Because the term underneath this father, it's a term of intimacy. It's a child of uh, what a small child would use for his father. And the image that Jesus is trying to give us here is that this incredibly powerful, incredibly omnipotent, perfect holy God. Invites us to come and sit in his lap and say, Dad, I've gone. And I need you to make it up. Dad, I've done something wrong, and I need you to forgive me. Dad, what's our story? What's our our family values? Where is life going? What is life all about? Dad, you help me understand these things. One of the reasons we don't battle on hoping to be heard is that your father knows what you need before you ask. Him. Prayer is not posturing, nor is it a complex ritual, but it's simply a cry of faith that's predicated upon an assured relationship, a loving relationship, a father-child relationship. So we see, first of all, as I've said that God is unique, powerful, transcendent, and we must submit our prayer life, in fact, our entire person to Him. That he won't be commodified or adopted into our system. But on the other hand, you're praying to the Father, inviting to bring your daily needs to Him, Our Father, who art in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Not only is he holy, but he's good. Not only is he transcendent and powerful, but he is imminent in the person of Jesus. Not only is he omnipotent, near and mercifully present. There's no other religious system talks about God in this way. No other designer religion comes up with this as the God of the universe. No one describes God in such powerful yet tender ways. He is holy and good. And guess what? Jesus says, our Father. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to you and I. He's saying, you Are my brother, you are my sister God the father Is our father You see what Jesus is doing He's saying to all of us To all of us who debts rather Than merit. He says, God's not your father Not just my father but your father, brother and sister Come to my kingdom Come to my kingdom All of us who need forgiveness Come enjoy the status of being a son or daughter forever. He us brothers and sisters. He grants us that status. It's not something that we have to wrestle from God's hand. He sends Jesus, his greatest gift, the greatest expression of his fatherly affection. He says, you can be like him. You can have his status. You can have his joy. You can have his kingdom. Just take hold of oh, it by faith. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 3. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. to one here and talk about God like that. Surely there are religions in Judaism who talk about God as a Father. But not as God as a Father. He is tender. He comes in person. comes in human form to take on our sin. We go to the cross and pay for all our debt, all of our debt, all of our, debt all of our sin. It says, Come have a and have my family, my table. We have access to God as a Father, the same level of intimacy that Jesus Himself enjoys with the Father. And it means that Christians have the same Father. Our Father forgive us our sins, Give us this day our daily bread. That's why we pray as a part of our liturgy, because it's an us prayer, it's an our prayer. It's a community prayer. The community of faith is one of the primary places that we are to devote ourselves to God and we're interacting with prayer. Furthermore, the calls to prayer in the Bible are almost always calls to a community, to a church, to a devoted, uh, to a church that is devoted and vibrant prayer life. It calls us to do this. It calls all of us to participate in that. Not just you. Not primarily you. And hopefully there's some humility in that as well as some liberty that these calls, these commands to pray are for all of us to do together. And that's why the best place to learn to pray, as Eugene Peterson said, is right here at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. And someone asks them to pray. He said, well, show up to church on the Sunday morning. That's where you learn to pray. Now, if you're not a Christian to follow Jesus, unfortunately you need to be part of his people. You need to be part of us. Not because we're so great, but because Jesus has made a community, a community of prayer, a house of prayer, as we read earlier. For better for worse, you're signing up for a life lived in community. A bunch of other simple people who are sometimes dreadful, prideful, dreadful, selfish, but who are pressing towards Jesus, who are trying to be in it with them, and sometimes failing by ministry. As we continue to worship, as we come to confess our faith as we come to the table, and as we pray, let's move into God. Let's attempt to know Jesus with grateful that you let us babblers come and pray for you. You let us religious Pharisees come and pray for you. And Father we we wrestle with one of those or both of those habits or instincts, I pray that you would be merciful. I pray that you would love us in spite of that. That we would come and sit in a lap. That we would receive your love and not try to initiate it with our prayer. life. Lord, I pray that you would make us to be a house of prayer, a church that prays and cares about those outside of us. We pray that you would do for us it's just going you have done for us. And Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.